Welcome to Recaps Podcast, a podcast where we dip our caps into the blood of our listeners and we ramble on about old school games. In today's episode, we are speaking with Dan Proctor of Goblinoid Games. As you know, no mortal can outrun a recap, so I hope you can sit back, listen, and enjoy. Today's episode is pretty special. We have to have a nice, long, sit-down conversation with Dan Proctor of Goblinoid Games, best known for Labyrinth Lord, and several other smaller properties that maybe you aren't aware of that we touch on briefly. Um, fantastic conversation. Dan was an awesome person to come onto the show and, and talk with me. There are a few audio glitches. Uh, his internet connection wasn't the greatest, so hopefully you'll be able to hear everything just great. Um, I'll try to clean it up as best as I can. But yeah, it was a fantastic conversation. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing what you guys all think about it. And without too much further ado, let's hand it over to the conversation. All right, folks, I am joined by Dan Proctor, one of the founding fathers of the OSR, best known for Labyrinth Lord, Goblinoid Games. Welcome to the podcast, sir. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. So the the world is all excited. Uh, the OSR area is is super pumped. Um, I was talking with with Matt Finch last week, and uh, and when I was speaking with him, your name came up. He said he was super excited to see how things go with the new project. Uh, he had high praise for. He goes. He said Dan makes rules better than I do. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think everybody's quite quite interested to see what the new edition of Labyrinth Lord will look like. Before we get to any of that, though, can you give me a little bit of background on yourself and Labyrinth Lord and, and Goblinoid for anybody who doesn't know, um, if they're not familiar? Sure. I So when I got started in this, it was around 2006, and um, a friend of mine told me about Osric and um, Ryan Dennison, who co-wrote Meet the Future with me. Um, and so that's, so I, that's how I ran into Osric, and then I would say... Shortly thereafter, I got the idea for Labyrinth Lord and ended up writing it the next year in 2007. Um, but the timing was not great because at the time I was also working on my PhD exams. And so <laughs> I don't know if it was the best use of my time to be writing Labyrinth Lord, but, but, uh, so, but I did that and, and, uh, I'm a, and now I'm a professor and trying to kind of balance my time, but, uh, I am getting back into the writing and, and so hopefully we'll carry on at this point. Very good. You, you mentioned that you're a professor now, so obviously the, P, the PhD was successful, I assume yeah. then, getting through. Yeah. Um, it, is, is your field of study in any way related at all to gaming or is it completely separate altogether? No, it's totally different. I'm a biological anthropologist and I study, so mostly I do human evolution stuff. Um, I do a little bit of forensics, but not much. I just basically the, the local police ask me, are these bones human or animal? And, and I'll say, <laughs> usually they're animal. <laughs> so so Dan Proctor should be definitely putting out an undead book um, and has excellent, excellent ideas of, of for things for skeletons, I'm sure. <laughs> but I do say I do feel kind of a connection to Tom Moldvay because he, he he did a master's in anthropology. Um, and I think I know who his advisor might have been. And and you can kind of see that in some of his writing, I think, where he includes Neanderthals and and various other little elements that, that are kind of like kind of from anthropology. Right. So Goblinoid Games doesn't just uh, do Labyrinth Lord; it owns the rights to a couple other pro uh, properties. And I've been asked directly to make sure that when I'm speaking with Dan Proctor, I have to ask this question because they said nobody else seems to ask. So <laughs> I was told to ask about if there are any future plans for any of the pace setter properties like Time Master or Sandman. And there was also a question about gore that I'll, I'll tee up for, for a follow-up here in a second. But yeah, is there any plans for Time Master or Sandman at all? Um, only, only vaguely. I, I definitely want to return to those products. Um, but for the time being, I, I really feel like I need to get back into Lab in Florida and, and get some material going that way. Um, I'm only one person, but I but I may hire out some of the work for other product lines. Yeah, being being a solo dev, uh, there's only so many so many hands and so many hours to. Uh, to yeah, get and I, I maybe unwisely I I got myself into a bunch of different product lines, and it's hard to support each one in a timely manner. Right. So Gore, I wasn't familiar with it until uh, the person who asked me to ask this to you uh, brought it up to me. Uh, but generic old school role-playing engine based off the BRP engine altogether. So very um, 
chaosium um like yeah. nature what what was the original goal of gore um and how does it differ from what people know in terms of like labyrinth lord and stuff like that i actually wrote gore before i wrote labyrinth lord and really my only goal there was was to follow in the footsteps of osric and produce something that would be mainly just a tool for publishers at that time calcium uh, I, I guess it wasn't as common for them to license out their works. And so I felt like there was a need for that. Um, and then as time went on, I, I don't know if that need really is still there because they, they do license a lot more of their products. And so I didn't really carry on with Gore. It was meant to be pretty generic, um, not really not really for any particular genre, even though there's a bunch of spells in there. Um, but I haven't really had any plans to try to make it into a, a you know more full fledged product. Right. It was it was a reference document to allow people to create adventures using that engine and that system. Yeah. Not ne not necessarily to be a game itself. Um, yeah. More of a reference spot. Okay. Um, and then Labyrinth Lord came out in you know 2007. Uh, I often say it is one of the four founding. Uh, OSR RPGs that go up on the Mount Rushmore uh, with Osric, uh, Swords of Wizardry, Labyrinth Lord, and Basic Fantasy RPG all kind of you know sharing the, those those four Mount Rushmore spots. Um, how do you see the OSR from when it what it was when you guys started it to what it is now? Is it do you pay any attention to it now? Like I know like for example, I, when I spoke with Chris Gonerman, he said he goes, I'm vaguely aware, but he goes I he doesn't spend much time looking at the OSR himself, he looks at his own games. Um, Matt Finch said he was a little bit, he goes, he goes, it's too big, was his answer. Mm -hmm. But what is, what is your thought? Of, like, what, what was it then and what is it now? And do you pay any much attention to the now? Um, well, what it was then is a long story I can go into. <laughs> uh, as far as, yeah, I'll go, I'll go into that. Um, as far as what it is today, um, I'm not really sure either because I, I've kind of been out of the loop for a while and it definitely does, doesn't seem to resemble what it did in the early days. And I don't know if that's good or bad, but it's just different. Um, when it first got started, you know, there were, there wasn't a lot of demand. I don't think in terms of uh, paid product that supports old editions. Um, and what little there was, I think, was kind of encapsulated in Castles and Crusades. Um, even uh, Necromancer Games with their slogan, uh, third edition rules, first edition feel. So there was kind of a, a sentiment that older, older play was a good thing. But um, from my perspective, I don't really think the market took off until uh, Gary Gygax died. Um, and really, I feel like that was the main kickstart to the to the osr at that time and fourth edition came along around the same time but it, but to me it feels like a kind of secondary um because at that point then a lot of people came back to the old rules uh, nostalgia um, which is natural you know somebody who people thought up thought, thought well of you know had just passed away and 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 you know it's, at that time i felt like uh you know blogs were a bigger deal Blogs aren't, aren't so much a, a medium anymore. And you had a lot of different people writing blogs, writing their different thoughts on basically rediscovering the old rules. Um, and then over time, it kind of became more competitive and more commercialized. And I'm not really sure what it looks like today. I'm trying to get figure it out. It seems like there are even more factions than ever. Yeah, I don't even know if I would call them factions. I feel like there's... I, I've described it several times as waves. So the, you've got kind of the original games that were attempting to stay either as reference games like Osric uh, or, you know, almost retro clones like Labyrinth Lord uh, and Sword and Wizardry. But then you've got games that were inspired by those games and then games that have been inspired by the ones that were inspired by that. And so it's, I think you're like three or four branches off the tree now um, of, you know, of what the source material was that, that inspired the game that, that you're reading at any point in time. So that that's why it's, it becomes so difficult, I think, to to narrow down what is the OSR at, at this point anymore. It's, it's, it is very large, very nebulous. Um, it's, it's a very big tree with a whole lot of branches instead of a, a pole like it was at one point. 
Um, yeah, people have been talking about what is the OSR from the very start, so I don't, I don't worry about it <laughs> too much. We didn't really answer it, you know, ten years ago, and we're probably not going to answer it today. Yeah, exactly. The um, one of the nice things that I've always liked about Labyrinth Lord, uh, besides the fact that it's, you know, uh, it's my favorite gaming system, BX. Uh, you know, it's it's beautiful in that sense. Is the covers uh, there's always been various covers that came out for the for the different releases of it it's all they've all been really fantastic is i i know you said you're going into the solo solo one on this one have you partnered with anybody to or have put any thoughts behind what a cover might look like for second edition yet yeah i've got an artist working on something right now and i'm still not quite sure how it's going to turn out if it if it's good then i'll you know i'll go with it um otherwise maybe i'll you know shop around a little bit um, but I, I don't want to say anything too specific yet, but basically the feel I'm going for is is to kind of combine old school, but with some of the you know, better capabilities we have now for desktop publishing. Um, you know, when I first got started, I had zero skills for one thing, and, and the kind of tools that were available to us were a lot narrower, and our options for printing were, were much narrower. Um, so I'm just trying to bring in, you know, like, well, for example, full color interior. Um, but the art, I still want to kind of harken back to the old, older styles, but but also have a modern touch. So it'll be at least sort of in between, I would say, but leaning towards old school. And is it? Are are you planning on doing it in? It seems to be popular now to have, uh, you know, books have shrunk down to the to the digest size, um, and. Uh, you know, a lot of games have been releasing either in special editions or as their core rules kind of broken the books up almost like OD&D with the, with, you know, separate, separate books. Would you be going as a single edition book again or going multiple? Yeah. Seems yeah, like it might be simpler for single with shipping and everything, but. Yeah, no, it'll be, it'll be an all in one volume. I don't really like splitting them up. Uh, just for me, I think one of the, one of the advantages to, the, like the original Mold Bay books was you only had to worry about two books. Um, and then if you drop that to one, I think it's even better. I, I just feel like at the table it's easier. Um, maybe if it was a you know much larger game, it would make sense to me. Right. But, um, but as far as format, yeah, I'm going to keep it the regular eight and a half by 11. I probably would not split it up unless I were doing you know, a special box set or something like that. But, but otherwise, no. And so what what will be the um is there going to going to be any adventures or settings coming with with labyrinth lord second edition when it comes out yeah i don't know I, about settings i've kind of had an idea for one for years that i've never put together um but first i want to put out adventures and i've got one that i'm revising right now that's a solo adventure and and that i and then i'll carry on in that direction probably maybe solo adventures and then sort of regular adventures is that is that something that that uh you want to see happen more in, in labyrinth florida is more of the solo play because you see some of some games like um iron sworn that was incredibly popular for them um where there's kind of been a, a resurgence a little bit in solo play and even solo like actual plays where you can watch somebody play solo on youtube or listen to it on the podcast is mm -hmm. that is that something that you do or and is it something that you kind of want to see as a big part of labyrinth lord I I'd like to see more of it. I you know honestly I have trouble <laughs> with the doing solo adventures myself um, because I I have I have trouble with the way a lot of them are written. Um, you know I love the old fighting fantasy stuff, but I feel like there's just too much page flipping, and it kind of pulls me out of it. Um, yeah, I went through one of the books you know when I was writing mine, and I just wanted to see well how many of these choices actually lead somewhere. You know, it actually leads somewhere else, and and I found that almost half the choices in this one fighting fantasy book were uh, just linear jumps. They weren't they weren't branching anywhere. So, I uh, so I don't know if you really need that many, but but uh, so so I'm trying to reach a balance between meaningful choices, um, but also enough of a story to keep you interested as you go along. Right. The um for me, I've always had an issue with solo play more of trying to organize how i record it for myself not so much for sharing it with anybody else but like how i how i you know, whether it's journaling it or something along those lines just coming up with a way of keeping that track um 
but yeah, there's there's been a lot over the last few years that there's been a lot of tools that have come out and to make the you know the, the mechanics around doing it solo very very easy. So it'd be cool to see some of that that built into the or advice for that given directly in the game system if it's there or anything like that. Yeah. The one of the so one of the other large BX retro clones that have, that's kind of become the mainstay over the last while gets a lot of criticism for its in its book for not having like examples of play. They they publish their book almost as a reference guide, kind of like Osric did. You know, just the, here's the rules and they presented them in a, in a uh, very nice manner and and their books are great. But they a lot of people kind of criticize them, say, hey, you've you've taken some of the flavor of what made Moldvay's voice special in those books by you know taking out the examples of play and some of those things. Will you have stuff like that in in Labyrinth Lord? Will you have um yeah, or or is the or is the expectation that anybody who picks up Labyrinth Lord, hey, you've played an RPG before, go grab your dice and go? <laughs> well, I mean, realistically, that's probably true. Um, but I, I've always had a, an example of play, um, which will, I think, I've I've edited, but I haven't really changed it substantially, so that'll remain. Um, there are also the section for designing adventures walks kind of walks you through just uh, a little bit about how to create an adventure. So those kind of things will stay. Um, I definitely don't see Labyrinth Lord as, as just a you know rule, I guess rules reference. I want to, I want you to to read it and enjoy reading it. Um, enjoy the art, enjoy the way things are are written. I don't um, you know it, it's it's kind of a balance between organization and brevity, but also a little bit of flavor. Why do you think? Um bx and i guess to, to a certain extent od and d as well are so attractive to folks in the osr uh, sphere of make that they're basing their own their own games off of those games in in the matter or, or i guess depending on how, how you read the license you can't directly answer that but how, how do other people um keep why do other people keep their games so close to those those source material games you think well i think the basic expert rules are are really the way most of us played. You know, when I was playing, and we started with, you know, basic D&D, but we also brought in first edition rule books, and we didn't even know that there was a difference. So we would just use them both at the table, and, and they ended up defaulting to more of the BX, you know, easier ways to do initiative. You don't worry about weapon ranges, or I mean, like reach as much, and speed factors, or that kind of thing. And I think it's just much more open for, for creating material. Yeah, it's. I've I've always looked at it and said it, it strikes the right balance between simplicity, but there's enough there that you're not that you can see a progression and and there, mm -hmm. there's enough game there that it's that it's a game, but um, not so much that you're constantly looking at the rule book or right, and it's easy to tinker with. Yeah, exactly. The, Sorry, um, I'm just adjusting something. I've got a dog whining in the background. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Mine's outside right now, so I, I may hear him scratching at my door at some point. What what kind of dog do you have? Oh, well, I've, I've got a Portuguese water dog. He's the young, whiny one, and then I've got an old lab. <laughs> Very good. I've got a a little corgi who's just a bundle of energy um, and uh, likes to just chase everything in the backyard until he's tired. <laughs> um, so so with. Sorry, with the um, with everything that happened here over the last while, like you said, you kind of removed yourself from every, everything. You said in your public poster, you mentioned that you had kind of withdrew, drawn yourself from social media, pulled away from everything, focused on on what you were doing, kind of gave yourself an ultimatum. Mm -hmm. Is that something you'd suggest to somebody in terms of like unplug everything, go off in a dark corner, and write until your fingers bleed, and come back out when you're done, or was that just kind of the right thing for you at that moment in time? Yeah, it was just kind of the right thing for me. I've I've been struggling, you know, with with maintaining the interest and motivation, you know. But yeah, I mean, I did I did release a few things over the last several years, but definitely not what I would like to have done. And but now I've gotten to a place where I kind of feel like I'm getting back to normal, and. Uh, it's a great time to jump in. I just I kind of wanted to just challenge myself to see, you know, is this something I really want to do 
or do I just like the idea of doing it? And then I found that I was able to produce something. So I'm going to run with it, see where it goes. So with the, with the whole, you know, whether it be work-life balance or just general, general life stresses, a lot of folks in, in our space don't really talk about, um, you know, if they're, if they're feeling mentally drained or if there's mental health issues or anything like that, like if it's just like, I need a break. <laughs> like nobody yeah. ever, very few people in our hobby talk about it, but a lot of people kind of will make a joke about it to the side about how gaming is a little bit like therapy for them. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I can see that. I can see people being able to you know, detach away from everything that's bothering them in their life and, and sink themselves into an hour or four hours of, of gaming and escape at all. Mm -hmm. Um, is there, any, is there anything that, that you would kind of throw out for just as general advice for anybody who's, who's kind of going through something like that and that's in a creative spot? Like how, how uh, kind of coming through it yourself, you're saying you're starting to feel like you're back to normal. What, what sort of steps should somebody else take if they're in some, something like that? Uh, you know, it's such a personal thing. I'm not sure. All of us struggle with different things and, and we're all on our own time frame. You know, it, it's, I, I've been I've been really trying to get back into the groove for a couple of years, but I just could not do it. Um, but then I felt a change now, and I think I think basically it's just time. You know, if you've ha got things going on, um, you need a little time to separate from that. Um, I have an anxiety disorder as well, so um, you know there are certain triggers to that. But you got to do what you can to to look out for yourself first, and try not to put as much pressure on yourself maybe but i think you know if you can kind of take, take on an activity that's related to it but is low pressure and maybe that can kind of help right yeah i think everybody talks about the you know if you, if you do the thing you love you never work a day in your life but that is complete bunk um in my mind <laughs> if, if, you, if you turn the thing that you love into work and can become quickly become the thing that you don't love anymore. Um, so you have to find that right balance and, and uh, make sure that it's, it's staying fun as you go through the, the, the game itself. Um, when it launches, I assume you're going to do it through Kickstarter. No, no, oh, oh. outside of Kickstarter. Oh, very nice. So it's going to be when it, when it launches, it'll just be available in general, general availability or it'll be done. Yeah. Oh, very nice. Yeah, it'll launch. Uh, I think that'll just launch it on drive through RPG. Um, you know, all at once, I think, just the PDF and print edition all at once. And I'm not sure yet if I'm going to release the adventure that I'm working on simultaneously or just a little bit after. It kind of depends on how my editing on that goes. I, I found that I need to rewrite about a third of it. I wasn't happy with it. <laughs> so, But uh, and I've been grinding away on editing Labrador for the second edition. So is it, is there, besides, you know, you mentioned you're going to try to modernize some of the layout and a couple of the rules. Is there, is there big fundamental changes to, to Labyrinth Lord or is it at, at its core still BX, but just uh, some smaller tweaks at this point now? It's, yeah, no, it's, it'll be pretty much the same. Basically, there were a lot of things that I did when I was writing it to avoid the, I, to avoid the perception that I was reproducing art. And at that, you know, when I first wrote Labyrinth Lord, there weren't a lot of other examples out there besides Osric. And it wasn't really clear how far we could push the borders. So to be on the safe side, a lot of us would just change things here and there, you know, mess, change some numbers, try to make an algorithm where there might not have been in before. Um, but the result of that produced some kind of wonky numbers. So I've, I've never been happy with the way uh, experience points progress for the player characters so those numbers are going to go back to be more in line with bx and uh, generating treasure also but for the most part everything else is is going to be the same it'll still it still has more monsters more treasure more equipment than original bx yeah that was that was something that um both matt finch and chris goderman mentioned was that at the time there was a lot of anxiety and tension around how the legality of things would work. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how, how far can you, can we push, push this license before yeah. the, the 10,000 pound gorilla comes and smacks us for it? Um, I lost sleep. <laughs> no joke, and, I lost sleep over it. 
and and nowadays um like there's a lot of games that i think are playing almost too fast and too loose with some of the rules where you know they've uh i, th- I think it was chris that mentioned he goes you know some of them aren't even reading the license that they're slapping at the back of their products um yeah. and uh you know like they don't they don't have their own pro- he goes like he goes the simplest i think he said the simplest uh, way that he can this the stern if somebody has read the the license or not is when he goes through it if they don't list the, their product name separately inside the license which I guess is one of the terms I haven't read the license, so I'm just as guilty as anybody else. But I don't, I don't make anything, so I'm allowed. Um, yeah, the um, and he goes, he can tell that they haven't read through it properly. So, is it? Um, do you think it's in a, in a at a point now where, because of how ubiquitous the OSR has become, and kind of the the current rights owners having got their own different set the game is almost different now for them versus what's what these older sets are running from. Do you think there's ever a a chance where we're going to see somebody get made an example of it or this, or is it, or is it they're fine with it as long as it doesn't get pushed like to the ridiculous point of using, you know, their actual monsters or yeah. something like that. You know, I mean, who knows really. Right. But I, mean, I think at this point, it would probably have to be something pretty egregious because there, there's been so much water under the bridge, you know, over the last 15, 16 years. Um, where would they even start? I mean, <laughs> there's a whole, and plus there's a whole bunch of material built off of other material with the OGL. And yeah, it'd be quite a task. And and also it would be, I think, bad for PR. So I'm not sure, you know, but um, but the other thing too is I, as far as I know, they've never really gone after anybody for violations of the OG, OGL per se. Yeah, I haven't heard of anybody who's who's ran afoul of them with it either. Um, yeah, and, and I don't I don't know if they would have any interest in that really. But you can but you can see all the time people mess that up the licensing, like you say, or they or they add their their product, but they don't add all the products from the products that they're building off of because it gets to be a long list and they don't want to bother. But you have to, <laughs> right? It's part of it. So what what do you play? Um, or do you get a chance to play much anymore? Because like you said, you've been you've been heads down for a little bit. Do you still get to play on a on a regular basis? And if so, what are you playing? Well, lately I have not. We, before COVID hit, we had a regular group um, with James Mishler and some other people, and, and then COVID pretty much shut that down. Um, so since then, we we I have played a little bit here and there, but we haven't had a very regular group. Um, but when we do play, we play lab and floor. And have you been playing? Did, did COVID force you online with your gaming much, or are you still doing it mostly in, in person? Like you took a break and then you're back now in person type idea, or? Yeah, mainly just in person. I through through the you know the darkest times, I guess you might say, of COVID. I wasn't really in any shape to socialize at all, and I, I was teaching from home, and I was just kind of a hermit. I don't even know if I left the house for weeks at a time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're not alone there. I mean, it was it was here in Canada, you know, our lockdowns, I live, I live near Toronto and we had some of the most just insanely strict and long running uh, lockdowns. Uh, so yeah, there was a lot of us that, you know, became, became very comfortable in our homes and it, and it, it I mean, it's, it's still an adjustment now. If I go any place that has a la- large crowd of people, I'm just like, Oh yeah, this is different. <laughs> and I've never been one to really enjoy that either. So um, it's, it's a, uh, it is a difference um, there for sure. Will, um, do you plan, speaking of, of crowds of people, um, if this comes out in early next year, do you plan on kind of doing the, the um, tour of conventions type of deal, like uh, sure. North Texas RPG con and stuff like that and, and bringing it around everybody? Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure what my convention schedule will be, except that I am going to attend GaryCon in the spring. So I should have, the, at the very least, the core rules and an adventure ready to go. But I think for my convention attendance, I'm, at least in the beginning, I'm going to focus on ones that are the most productive. Because I found that a lot of times when you go to a convention that isn't really geared towards old school stuff, you don't, you don't, it's a lot harder to talk to people and it doesn't end up being viable uh, as far as expenses go. So I kind of got to pick and choose, um, but GaryCon is probably the crown jewel of those. So if there's not a single place that's better, probably for bringing people together with that interest. Yeah, I would say as far as OSR. So I, 
part of my reason for asking that was also just try to pick pick your brain on on cons because yeah. I've I've only gone to a couple of small cons near me. I've not gone to any of the larger cons at, at all. It was it was on my plan to start touring around the U.S. a little bit this year and and do this, but at the very beginning of the calendar year, travel between Canada and the U.S. was still very uh, questionable how things would work. Mm-hmm. So put it on hold for this year, 2023. Hopefully get down there a bunch more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so as I've been asking people, the the ones that everybody seems to mention is Gary Con, North Texas. Uh, there's Shire Con up in in the Northeast as well. I think it's in Connecticut or something. Those seem to be like the the biggest OSR centric or the you know AD and D BX uh, centric um, cons. So if 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 yeah. those are all on your list, then I think you'll be be well spent there. I I think those are probably more my speed as well. Gary Con get, gets to be a little bit big. I I have no intention of going to like um any of the you know hundreds of thousands of people or thousands of people tens of thousands of people at a at a convention um no seems, seems too big for no i i don't, I don't think i could handle gen con <laughs> yeah. no. um so what what is the if if you had to say one thing that you are most excited about this is it is it the the game itself is it the process of of kind of getting stuff going and and relaunching goblinoid what what is the aspect of all this that's that's the most fun and interesting to you uh, as things have been going? Right. Well, for me, person, it's, it's more personal. I think I just I enjoy writing. I enjoy you know imagining the world and going somewhere else, sort of as you're writing. Just being, just creating is is what I find exciting. So, um, and yes, it's interesting to revise Labyrinth Lord because I, as I read through it, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm looking at what I wrote, you know, 15 years ago. And I'm like, Oh my God, I need to, I need to fix some of this language. Um, so that's nice. I, I like the opportunity to, to get that kind of in better shape, but, but really the, the core rules are only the beginning. And, um, you know, the, once they're in place, then, then my goal really is, is supplementary material. And I feel like too many people, will take their core rules and, and slice them and dice them and, you know, resell them in various formats. And that kind of becomes their main, their main thing. And, and that's not really what I want to do. I just, I want to have a good solid game in the background and then continue to come out with support material. When you say support material for it, would you be staying mostly in the fantasy realm or would you jump to other genres? Like, would there be a, uh, a labyrinth floor that's more sci-fi based or something along those lines, or would it stay pretty much fantasy and just different? Well, I already have, uh, you know, sort of starships and spacemen is is uh, science fiction based on those rules. Um, Apes Victorious is uh, like a Planet of the Apes kind of thing. Um, so I already have and Mutant Future. I've kind of mm-hmm. spun out different genres of that. Um, yeah. So and so, would we see kind of those updated as well, kind of following along in lockstep with the fantasy counterpart with it, or would? Are are they yeah. written well enough now that they're kind of compatible enough, and and there isn't a need to go back to them right away? Yeah, I don't think there's a need to go right back to them. I might adjust some of the numbers here and there, but but for the most part, I think they're in pretty good shape. But you know, where I where I may have based saving throws or experience progression on labyrinth board, I, I might want to revisit that and change the numbers around a little bit. But other than that, I think they're pretty good. I, I like asking people about what tools they use. Um, so when when you're writing, what what is what is your environment like when you're sitting down to write? Are you in like a Microsoft Word? Are you in a desktop publishing application? Like what is it that, that you're spending a lot of your time in? Yeah, I, I used to use an ancient version of Microsoft Word. And I finally have a computer that isn't really compatible with my old, I think it was like 2006 or something <laughs> version. Um, so great. I've, I'm trying to get into open source software as much as possible. So I've switched away from that and I use LibreOffice for the writing. Um, I'm learning the ropes of Affinity Publisher for the desktop publishing component. I used to do all of my desktop publishing in Word. And if that wasn't a pain in the ass, <laughs> man. Um, yeah, no, Affinity Publisher is great. What's that? I said Affinity Publisher is fantastic. Their, their yeah. entire lineup, um, as far as being cost effective and quality enough to be an actual strong competitor to Adobe. They're yeah. great. So yeah, yeah I, I highly recommend, highly recommend them as well. 
Mm -hmm. I use Inkscape for vector type images and then for a Photoshop replacement, I've, I've, I've been using an ancient version of that, which also doesn't work on my new com newer computer. So <laughs> I've kind of been jumping between uh, Krita and Gimp. Now, I know I haven't really mastered either, but trying yeah. to get there. Yeah, I've I've had GIMP forever. Krita, I I tried once. I I got a um a writing tablet with some dreams that I would practice digital artwork, and I can barely draw mm -hmm. a stick pen, so it was kind of a waste. But um the uh, but I've had GIMP for years. I using using that as a Photoshop alternative. Um, I've only recently kind of set GIMP aside and started using the Affinity product uh, more often because uh, it does most of what I need. But yeah, GIMP is great again as an alternative to Adobe products. Um, I mean, yeah. Adobe products are great, but they're just incredibly pricey. Uh, so it's, I think it's always nice whenever yeah. you can hear ways that people can get into this at a very low cost barrier to get out and start creating stuff. Sure. And I, I avoid um, subscription plans as much as possible. I hate doing that. <laughs> I guess it's the new thing, but. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's the point where there's a lot of people that are wondering whether or not you'll see that, that become the future of, of a wizard's version of D and D. Uh, right. not, it'll, it'll end up becoming a subscription model. So yeah, it is kind of a, as things have moved online and as, as uh, you know, the, the way to monetize things is monetize things has changed that that could be a future that mm -hmm. that's possible. Hopefully not, but um, I'm sure, I'm sure those who enjoy those games will find a way to, maybe they'll have their own OSR movement for, for, for that <laughs> as well. And, and uh, bring yeah, stuff around. Maybe. So well, when, Along that, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. I, I read, I was reading somewhere on a, I forget where it was a few days ago, and some, somebody had mentioned that, that they grew up playing Labyrinth Lord. And I thought, oh my God, I've <laughs> been out that long. Uh, and, you know, when people talk about how they grew up playing third edition, or even, I guess, now fifth edition. And, uh, but so, yeah, I mean, what we think of as nostalgic is changing in generations. It kind of makes me wonder. Um, how are we going to recruit more young people to back to the older version? Yeah, I, th I think it's, I, I think it's got to be a matter of like one of the things that I've tried to make sure that I'm doing uh, as, especially during this month, but in general, I try to do it across most of my episodes on the podcast, but definitely during this month where we've been trying to highlight the positive of, of the OSR is to not do it in comparison to the newer games to not say, <laughs> Hey, these newer games do something bad or, or wrong. Right because I don't think they do. I think they're just different. Um, it's a different, <laughs> different uh, set of rules. It's a different vibe that they're going for with the game. Right. Um, so I think it's, I think it's more about just trying to show, Hey, this is what this era of gaming did really well. Um, mm -hmm. So that's why I'm, I'm always on the lookout for, for, you know, really good adventures that show, show things or one of the things I've been kind of shaking the tree a little bit. I've had, had a few people respond to me, um, hopefully I'll be able to have a have a bigger conversation about that in the near future, but is settings is that in I, I kind of look at it and say there hasn't been a whole lot of really great original world scale settings put out mm -hmm. in the last 20 years or so. Um, yeah, like a lot of the stuff that that I look at as far as being you know the gold standards for those were all products of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Um, yeah, and uh, uh, yeah, which I is weird. Which is weird whenever we live in an age of, you know, super collaborative internet access and free tools and, and wikis and stuff like that. You would think that there would be all the tools available for a group of people to sit down and create a, you know, a collaboratively really cool world. Um, I kind of mentioned that to, to Chris Gunnerman because I, I look at his project there with Basic Fantasy as being an open source game, essentially, where he's got, uh, you know, the forum comes together, everybody collaborates, they edit all internally, and then he puts out the product. And I was like, I, I viewed I view his as very similar to an open source project. And I was mm -hmm. like, what do we need to get that for for a setting? To, and he was like, you really need to have you know somebody who has who's got the leadership on what they want, and then just people that are passionate about it. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I'm I'm definitely not the person to take up that torch, but I'm hoping at some point somebody does and tries to gather a, a group of people and say, hey, we're going to make make this world, and everybody come and pitch a little bit in and. Mm -hmm. I think it'd be really cool. Yeah. The yeah. with with you being out of the, out of the the um 
kind of the OSR sphere for a little bit as you kind of disconnect yourself out and, and put your head down and everything else is going on in the world because it's been a crazy world. Yeah. As as you're coming back, sticking your head back up, is there has there been anything in the in this in the area that that you know you're like, oh wow, that was why didn't we think of this before? Or has there been anything that's been really surprising from not maybe from a specific specific game or an adventure or just in general of the movement that that you or community, whatever you want to call this group of people that like old school games? <laughs> um, um wow, that's a tough one. I, I'm not sure I've poked around enough to to have enough examples, um, but on the surface, there you know there. I know we're we're not talking about drama, but on the on the surface, it's, there's always been that in the in the OSR. Um, it just seems that, you know that that's continued on, um, but I think it's more commercialized right now than it ever has been, um, and that may be good, it may be bad. I think. I think it's kind of good in a way because it, it does raise the standard for what, what you produce. You can't just slap something together in Word and put it up anymore. Or you could, but <laughs> I don't know if you want to. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, as far as anything totally different, I'm, yeah, I think I, I, maybe I'm not around enough yet. Right. I, I, I agree with you that it's definitely become commercialized. I kind of view that as the wave that we're in right now is that we're in kind of the commercialized version of the osr where instead of things appearing on blogs or on forums or on google plus or any of the other common meeting areas that the osr used to centralize around products are now often seen for the very first time as they hit kickstarter or itch or you know wherever it is they're being being published out of so it it the very first time you see it is when somebody's asking for money for it as opposed yeah. to before where there was a lot more of a uh you know a, a group setting and debate and and yeah. stuff like that around it yeah, and and when things first got started, um, I remember people talking a lot about how terrible the market was for old school stuff. Um, you know, back in I guess two thousand seven, two thousand eight, maybe sales were very low for everybody, and it really wasn't until the OSR got sparked, I think, with the death of Gary Gygax, that that, that started to change. But and now you look at it today, and you've got people. You know, with Kickstarters over hundreds of thousands of dollars, it's just a whole different, whole different world. Yeah, the the dollar value on the Kickstarters and the RPG space in general, not just the OSR space, but um, going back a few years there when um, uh, his name just escaped me, uh, MCDM Matt Colville, uh, when he when he did up his his Kickstarter in the RPG space for his product, and it came out like over a million dollars or something in mm. just a few days and it's like wow um yeah. there's been some crazy uh crazy results from there yeah. with with everything that's coming out there's no way for me to have possibly answered any questions that you may have previously had in your head that you were expecting me to ask <laughs> so is there something that that you would have liked me to ask for you to talk about or is there something that if our roles were reversed that you would want to hear asked of somebody who's coming back and, and releasing kind of an iconic product like this, like what, what should people know or what would you like to tell people um, in general? That's a hard question. What do I want to tell people? <laughs> um, wow. I think that the, the thing that most people want to know is, am I changing, making any major changes? Um, and which we've kind of talked about already, and which is not the case, um, is Labyrinth Lord going to retain more of its own flavor? I think the answer to that is yes. It's never been um, an exact replica, because I, I always felt that as great as the original rules were, they were kind of limited. You, you know, you don't play very long, and you've already exhausted a lot of the options for monsters and spells and magic items and that sort of thing. So. So I like I brought a lot more of that in to kind of increase the length of playability, and that's all going to stay. Very good. One of the last questions I'll ask you: I haven't asked anybody else this, and I just realized I haven't, and I should have been. Um, but I'm I'm a huge fan of of monster books. Uh, <laughs> I'm a sucker for it. I'm I'm I, I try to hold restraint on buying new rule sets at this point, but monster books, it's like, oh well, I got to get that now. Um, what is your favorite monster book? And also, what's your favorite monster? My favorite monster book. 
you know, I think, uh, gosh, I can't remember the name now. Um, there was one put out many years ago that had kind of variations of standard monsters, and it was written for Ostrich, I believe. I wish I could remember the name, but that, that was pretty interesting. Uh, but in terms of the whole scope, I, I think Necromancer games and Frog God games with their Tomb of Horrors, those are probably my favorite. You know, they're they're just monsters in there. There's just so much material in there. Yeah. Tomb of Horrors and Tomb of uh, Monstrosities. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Tomb of Monstrosities. I think that's that's a great one. I think that's probably up in my top two or three as well, if not the, the, the my favorite one. Um, I wish I wish he would reprint that, but it's it's such a huge volume. I guess it's it's becomes not tenable to actually print uh, again. But yeah, um, yeah the um, monsters are hard. You know, coming up with new monsters is really hard. It is. Uh, we've we've actually been having. Uh, a couple of the other podcasts I listen to, we've been calling in and, and having discussions back and forth. And there's that never-ending talk about you know players bringing their knowledge of of the game in from the outside world into the game and giving their character an, an unjust advantage or something by by knowing that the troll is weak to fire or something like that. Yeah. But but the so like there's been discussions around like, like just stop using the monsters' names and you know use descriptions and. And modifying them and stuff like that. I mean, it's things that have been discussed since you know early Dragon Magazine days and and what have yeah. you. But yeah, uh, give them give them maybe some different unexpected abilities. Uh, you know, different yeah, different capabilities that you might not be expecting. That's always a good way to keep people on their toes. Yeah, it's it's been fun for me over the last little while. I've I managed to find a uh, a way to to read a lot of the old uh, dragon and white dwarf magazines and from a nostalgia value of, of not even like the so much like the articles in the magazine, but the nostalgia value of going through like the ads and the letters to the editor and stuff like that. Uh, Going through the letters to the editor, it's, it's, it's kind of hilarious how much the discussions have not changed. They're the exact same questions. They're the same, uh, gripes uh, and arguments and and nerd (laughs) sniping uh, that was taking place in the seventies and eighties as there are today. Um, so much like how you said earlier in this conversation, where you said there was no consensus on what the name, what what the OSR was back then, and you're not surprised that there still isn't one now. Yeah, because it it just holds true with everything else in the hobby as well. Is that the same the yeah. same debatable points are are still the same debatable points? Yeah. Well, I think I think there are a few things though that we all can agree on, and one of them is that it makes creativity more democratized. You don't you don't have to rely on publishing through one entity, you know, and have gatekeepers. I think that's one of the best things. And that lets lets people put up put out there what's on their mind. Yeah, having having the the ability to publish very inexpensively without having to have a big overhead cost to you. Mm-hmm. Um, especially now with print on demand options, like it's it's a, right. a a very you know more accessible way to, to get into things. The the problem I find I often say that we're in the golden age of, of RPG stuff right now because there is there is more content made every day and published every day than any of us could ever consume. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, you know, finding things. Um, I've yeah. I've I've lamented in the past that uh, <laughs> I, I I make this statement every once in a while and then it lasts for like a couple of weeks where I'm like, okay, I'm done buying rule sets. I'm not buying any more rule sets. I have five different BX clones. I've got all the different games that I like. I'm going to play the games I like, and then somebody comes out with something new, and I buy it. But, um, but I I do wish there was a way that there was um, almost like a, a search engine where I could go to and say, "Hey, I'm having a problem with the thief," and show me everybody's different revision of the thief of the eighty thousand different ways, rather than having to to pick through, um, you know, this person's BX clone that they changed the thief in, and this person's BX clone that they changed the thief in. Yeah. Go through that way. So, like discoverability seems to be the big, big issue now. Like just making sure that you can, your name is known and you're able to be found. Yeah. Is that with with Labyrinth Lord having been out of the the public site for a little bit, although it never stopped being played, is is that any of a concern to you at all in terms of like keeping the sure. the marketing side of it? I guess. Oh sure, I think you know I, because there hasn't been really any support for from me for so long. Um, a lot of the support I used to enjoy has also kind of tapered off, and I don't, you know, and I don't blame people for that. 
So I think the challenge is to kind of reestablish trust in the product. Um, that's really important. And the other thing that's important is the community. The way we do things now, you can't, I don't feel like you can really have a successful product unless you have a community around it. Because, you know, how, how do you, you know, people who are going to create their, all these variations of games, um, there's always a question, how do you distinguish yourself? And, and, and from my perspective, it's pretty hard to distinguish yourself in a way that where you could argue, well, I, I made up this rule, so my game is better or, or this or that. I think the, the thing that is decisive is the community. So if you get, so the more you can build that community, I think the better, better off you are for name recognition and getting the word out. Yeah, I, I, I agree there. I think it's having a group of people behind you, um, mm -hmm. And, and helping out with it. So I guess as a as a general question, following up that with that, then again, you operating most of this solo. What can those who are you know big fans of the game um, do to help? Like, what can the if if you know if I'm coming to you say, hey Dan, how can I help out make this success for you? What what sort of things are you looking for, for for from folks, or what can they do to help you out at this point? You know, positivity just goes a long way. Um, you know, there's in the in all the aspects of life, there's always naysayers, and gamers are no different. <laughs> and so, you know, positivity is is great. I think spreading the word is great. If you're excited about the game, talk about it. Um, if you are a publisher or you're thinking about publishing, that's another great way to support the game. And I, you know, in return, I will also help support and advertise for them. Um, those are all things I think that apply. In in the last long while, one of the one of the reasons I've always been pushing to try to get some sort of a definition of what the OSR is, even though it's a futile uh, experiment. Mm -hmm. Part of my reason for doing that is that when somebody sees OSR on the front of a book, um, that they would have some sort of an idea of what it actually is, and to a certain extent, with like. For the newer edition games, you'll see 5e compatible written on, on a book, and you you kind of okay, I, I know what that is. Um, for the longest time with Labyrinth Floor, there was a lot of stuff that people were publishing, and they weren't labeling it as as OSR; they were labeling it as Labyrinth Labyrinth Floor. Mm -hmm. um, and you've seen the same thing same thing to a smaller extent with Osric as well. Is right. is that something that you're hoping to continue, where where folks will be able to slap the Labyrinth Floor logo on? Is there a yeah. is there like a specific um, is, is there a stringent rule thing that has to go through that or is, or is no, it pretty easy? I, I still, I've always had a license, pretty open license, and that will continue. Um, it doesn't require any oversight or screening or anything like that. Um, you know, it's pretty, pretty boilerplate stuff. I just don't, uh, I just wouldn't want to see things put out there and controversial for the sake of it. Um, to just keep in mind that the, these products are for a wide variety of people, you know, of all ages, really. So, I would just hate to see something out there and uh, but get published, but otherwise it's it's a free license and it's pretty easy to use. Awesome. So yeah, I for for me, I'm kind of without uh, spoiling it for anybody who might be interested to see what my conclusion OSR October is going to be. My my feeling has been more that I think I'm looking to see products that come out with you know. It's BX compatible or it's Labyrinth mm -hmm. compatible. And I think that it will end up being more useful to me for what I'm looking for from an OSR uh, yeah, definition. I agree. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't like the OSR logo as such as it is because it does, it isn't very specific. Um, if, if people follow your products, then they kind of know what you mean by it. But, but yeah, there isn't a universal, this is what, this is the rule set for the OSR. I mean, from my perspective, other old games are could be OSR too. You know, like old versions of you know, Elric or Stormbringer, and you know, in the Chaosium family, or any number of other games. Yeah, there's there's lots of stuff that fits into the old school games. I think it was just a lot of us had the OSR in specific seemed because of the you know the four games that came out that started all of it were all you know the early TSR era games. And that kind of locked mm -hmm. a lot of people's viewpoint there, but yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of like the fantasy trip, um, mm -hmm. Jackson games as well coming right. out in a similar era. Um, 
I probably wouldn't say that's an OSR game, but it's definitely an old school game. It's definitely a, a game that has that same feeling and came up from that same time period. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's 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 one of those things that I, I, I th- I'm I'm more looking at it from a cover of a book standpoint of how does somebody who, you know, I've got a 5e friend and they're looking to go explore something and they, they see OSR on the cover. Do they know what that's going to be? And, uh, yeah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> so that, that's why I think it would be really, really awesome if we start to see more products come out with, say, a Labyrinth Lord logo on it or something along those lines where um, sure. you know, we, we know exactly what those are, or we have a good idea of what those will be when it actually hits the table. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, so you're currently going through and getting the, the web page and everything back up and running. Um, mm-hmm. Is that going to be kind of a in-between editing and... and uh, creation standpoint and hopefully that that gets ready to to go fully in early in the new year type as well yeah yeah i just have basically kind of a holding page for the most part at the moment um i've been focused on other things Uh, i'm I'm thinking about hiring that out rather than trying to do it myself just because of how time consuming it is yeah yeah there's a lot of tools that can make it really easy but you can also goof stuff up if that's not your area of expertise so it's almost going to be like if if you can afford it, be like, yeah, go take care of this and put up a, a right. small small page for us. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess That's you'll be, you'll be able to to handle the the print on demand. Is it going to be uh, specifically through drive through, or would it also be Lulu or anything else that you've got in mind as well? Yeah, it'll be drive through and Lulu. Um, I'm also investigating some other options, but the you know the, the main problem with the other options is you you have to direct people there, you know, from, from your own advertising or website, which can be very difficult. And, you know, to get people to create a new account with a different, different distributor, um, it's just a lot easier to stick with drive through because, you know, it's the, it's the industry leader and that's where people go. And, and also Lulu, I think got to step in to that early on because it was one of the, maybe the only option really uh, when the OSR started, if we call it whatever we call that. Um, Lulu was one of the only options for print on demand. And then when drive through instituted it, then, then I think a lot of the, the business shifted there. So what's the, what's the, um, the method, best way to describe what the feedback's been like coming back since, since you've launched that, that public post and you've been like, Hey, we're coming back. Has it been mostly very positive? Has there been what, what has been the been the resounding question? Or have I hit the, all the resounding questions? Um, that have come yeah, up? I think. Well, I think you've hit the the questions. I think I think overall it's been a pretty positive response. Um, you know, you you always have people that are really entrenched in whatever they're doing at the moment, and and for whatever reason they feel threatened when something else comes along. So I think there have been some comments. That I think you're coming from that place. But but overall, yeah, I, I think it's been positive, and um, I'm just uh, just need to be present. I think I think that's something that all of us should strive for is just be <laughs> present at, at times. Yeah. It's it's very easy to uh, to pull away, uh, especially mm-hmm. depending on on what parts of the internet you happen to be be uh, swinging around in. So um, I do thank you very much for coming onto the show. It's been awesome to talk to you. Thanks is there the where should everybody go to find updates on on when things will be coming out and and how how the progress is going and, and everything uh-huh. on the lines? The the source probably for more up to date information will be on the Labyrinth Lord Two E Facebook group. Okay, and because I'm, I'm not sure how how soon I'll update my web page, but that'll be the most up to date information. Okay, all right, I'll include links to all those down in the show notes for everybody to come and find it and and follow along on there. And like you said, there won't be a Kickstarter. So every, when it when it launches, everybody can just grab it and go. Right. Um, yeah. Is there going to be, uh, will, will it launch uh, only as the PDF and, and print copy or will there be a, like a free art free version or anything along those lines as well at the same time? Yeah, there, there will be a free art version and um, maybe, some, maybe some other approaches too that I'm that talk about later. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Like I said, for me, thank this you. is kind of like I've I've completed the Mount Rushmore now. I've talked to the creators of all the four <laughs> original games. You've all been awesome to talk to, and you've been uh, so giving with your time. And I, I realize it's been 
a crazy week and everything. Everybody has had different maladies and stuff. So I appreciate you being able to bounce around the schedule a little bit with me and, and get this call in. Sure. Well, thank you for your time. I appreciate the invitation. All right, folks. So I'm going to pass this up to future me that's doing the editing, but yes, check the description for all the links to all the things. All right, folks, that wraps up this episode of the Red Caps podcast. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. It was so much fun to speak with Dan. Dan, thank you for coming on to the show. And I hope everybody learned something, they enjoyed it, and they're eager to come back for more. www.theredcaps.net has all the links to all the ways to contact me, and the show notes will have all the links for all the ways to contact Dan. Thank you very so much for listening. And remember, never let your caps dry out. Stay safe, have fun. We'll talk again soon.